0: This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Hey everyone, it's Valerie here. Today is a follow-up show to last episode, the interview with Marco Panza and his book, Limbo. Today, we're going to review the book and get a sneak peek at chapter one. Now that you've met the author, let's meet Grim the Reaper and his love, Dora, and see what other readers have to say about the book. Again, this isn't a family-friendly episode, so there's swear words that I do not beep, and some other scary language. Welcome back to Valerie's Variety Podcast. With your host, me, Valerie Moss. This show is about eating, reading, and creating. These three things influence us every day and the people that make this happen. Isn't it you or me or our friends? Here's the retail clip. A mouth, independent of any bodily features or appendages, stretched from floor to ceiling and halved the room. Fat, slug-like lips, a deep shade of purple ran from wall to wall and behind them. A nicotine-stained but otherwise healthy set of teeth nestled into fleshy pink gums. From between them protruded a thick, muscular tongue roughly the size of a family van, the tip of which had wrapped around Volpe's torso, pulling him closer and closer to the cavernous maw. It breathed, and with every exhalation Tanner was forced to inhale, a putrid cocktail of corruption he would remember for the rest of his days. His partner turned his head and locked eyes with him, both equal in their helpless, speechless horror. It was as if the brief moment of recognition confirmed for each of them that this was no nightmare, nor was it superstition. It was real. Volpe began writhing with renewed vigor as he became aware that the distance between himself and the undulating throat was closing. His arms flailed awkwardly over the edge of the tongue, reaching his hand out all the while to his partner, who couldn't seem to find the courage to reach back, nor see the sense in it. Instead, Tanner pulled out his gun, shooting twice into the salivating, fleshy mass. Within seconds, the slugs were pushed back out, producing two tiny, wet clinks as they landed. Out of options, Tanner began to scratch, kick, and pry at the tongue. Finding that equally useless, he pulled Volpe's hand with all his might. The arm gave slightly as it popped from its socket, rousing a new wave of rending screams from Volpe as he slipped mere inches from the tongue's grip. The tongue seemed to sense the incremental escape, adjusting itself and wrapping the detective up even more tightly. A bubbly, guttural noise came from both the monstrous and human mouths, and the trapped detective was drenched in a gush of sputum. Before his protest was finally halted by a sickening crack of his breaking spine. Tanner, undeterred by the sound, continued to pull the dislocated arm. The tongue seemed to be done toying with them both and released a fresh torrent of saliva that quickly spread underfoot. It yanked, retracting into the mouth suddenly, causing Tanner to slip and land painfully on the wet floor but not to lose the firm hold on his partner's hand. Unfortunately, the rest of his partner was now beyond reach, past the lips in between the massive teeth. Tanner squeezed the severed hand of his partner and watched while the rest of the body was chewed like human bubblegum. After a few crunches, the enormous mouth paused, then smiled. Bits of bone, Blood and gristle stuck in its teeth like the sinews of an overcooked steak. The smile held, and all the surviving detective could do was stare, frozen in awe of the presence and power of the monstrous mouth. The lips puckered, spat, and Tanner felt something moist, hard and heavy hit him square in the face, flattening him. Forcing himself back up to a seated position on the floor, he registered blood pouring from his nostrils, intermingled with that of his partners. Following the trail down past his chest, it took a moment to identify the wad. His partner's former body had come to a rest across his lap, a mangled mess that resembled an animal carcass fed through an industrial meat tenderizer. Tanner's mouth dropped in silent horror as he watched the giant one move once more. Having nearly forgotten, it was there despite its proximity. The lips, caked with goop and hung with ropes of severed intestines, spoke a single word in a low, rumbling tone. Run. Tanner's legs responded before his mind did. It was only when he found the others that he realized he should be screaming. First, when you get this book, it's not the average paperback size. It's slightly larger. The cover is ominous with a dark figure and white orb surrounding it you can't really tell if it's walking away or towards you. And the color is like a gray scale with sepia tones. Also, the print is a dark black on white paper. Again, not your typical paperback color. Marco has laid the book out in a today time slot, the present, and then a yesteryear time slot, way in the past, However, in Limbo, you aren't really sure about the timing of anything. Those of you who like to get into a good, scary story, not like a mystery, more like a horror. This book would put your detective skills to the test. And those that like a movie directed by Tim Burton or Rob Zombie, this will lend itself nicely to your taste. When he goes back and forth in time and introduces you to these two worlds, the living and the dead, it makes you think. Marco has a way of perpetuating your ideas of the characters in the book, like Dora. She's so sure of herself, it even scares her assistant. Or Rambo, poor Rambo, who's always yelling. You sort of root for him, and the people do the strangest things to him. The people in limbo are being watched by... Well, I can't give every part away. (music) The love story portion of this book probably hits home to almost anyone who reads it because... It's sort of envious if you were a Jekyll and your partner was Hyde. The reddest of red hair and smashing of canvas paintings always struck me as an interesting side story, and I was intrigued by it. Here's a glimpse of Dora. Is making everyone in art class cry the nice thing to do, Dora? The smaller chair creaked behind her and Mrs. Stokes felt the small, piercing eyes fall onto the nape of her neck. Telling the truth, doing the right thing, they're the same. Dora emphasized the words of her reply. For her, this was clearly a teaching moment. That is being nice. It's just that sometimes the nice part takes a long time to catch up with you. The thin ice Dora was on finally cracked and Mrs. Stokes spun around into a defensive posture. Enough, she thought. Let her tell her parents. I'm going to make this little smartass cry. She contorted her face into her best scowl, which looked much closer to her resting face than she cared to admit. Would you like me to tell the truth then, you little brat? She picked up Dora's painting, You stood in front of the entire class and showed us this, this thing, and then told everyone their paintings were, were shit. You like to ruin things for others, don't you? Well, how about I ruin something for you? Mrs. Stokes lifted the canvas above her knee and brought it down hard. The thing on it tore in several places, framed by splintered wood. Dora? Still didn't flinch. Not a tear. Nothing. No, they didn't let me finish, she said evenly, watching the spectacle of an adult behaving like a child with obvious amusement. I was going to tell them that they should paint a little of what's inside of them, not just the outside. Then their paintings would have a chance to not be so bad. I was helping them. In response, Mrs. Stokes threw the broken painting to the floor and ground her heel into it, leaving dusty brown streaks across it, but marring her shoe with paint in the process. The fact that she might have just ruined a perfectly good pair of orthotics only served as fuel for her anger. "'Do you know what I think, Dora?' she shouted. "'If this is what's inside you,' It's time I suggest to your parents that they have that little head of yours examined. And you know what? I bet they'll put you away somewhere you can paint these kinds of things until your hair turns gray. How would you like that? Mrs. Stokes crossed her arms over her heaving chest, waiting for the child to buckle. Any moment now, she thought. Dora's face was blank. Her eyes trained on her painting. She lifted herself from the chair, walked across the room, and snatched it up. Without looking at Mrs. Stokes, she turned and made her way to the door, staring at the canvas all the while. Then, she stopped. Her shoulders shook lightly, and Mrs. Stokes heard a sniff. That's it. Now you've learned your goddamn lesson, she thought. Certain it was mere seconds before the sobs, apologies, and surrender began. But when Dora turned, there was nothing of the sort on her face. She was beaming as she turned the knob and swung the door open behind her. It's not easy being wrong, she said, taking one more look down at the painting, then back up. But it's okay. I think you made it better. She turned with a giggle, clutching the shattered painting to her chest, and left. Mrs. Stokes watched the door close in stunned silence. A problem for tomorrow, she thought with half her mind. The other half was already clasping a generous glass of gin. She packed her things and chased the thought home. The next morning, she reminded herself as she awoke from fitful dreams that there were two weeks left in the school year. Something was wrong with the girl. She was sure of it. One of the places in the book that has sat with me is when Caitlin and Grimm are walking. It goes like this. They stopped talking and continued their slow walk, Caitlin periodically swallowing the threat of nausea. Grimm was impressed to see her sidestepping knee-high piles of petrified chicken bones and mummified bread littering the path as if she were on a track. Further evidence of her tenor in the den Here's a few reviews that I found on Amazon. First, I don't usually read horror novels, especially not at this time of year, but this book really sounded interesting. So I decided to give it a shot. I am so happy that I did because it is a very good book that kept me reading from the very beginning. It's different compared to any other books I've read and it is so well-written. I'm going to get my husband to read this one, too, because I know he will love this book as much as I do. If you're looking for a new horror novel to read, I highly recommend Limbo. Second, truly gripping from start to finish. A perfect blend of humor and horror. Can't wait to read more of Marco's work. The opening few pages had me hooked right from the start. Smiley face. Third, loved it, loved the imagery, loved the symbolism. Ended up reading it in two sittings. And now here's my review, Valerie's. As the producer, we always read the book first. Then when we get into the production of it, we read it again. When I read this book, it was an instant page turner because of the two universes and the time shifting between current and past, love and hate and the haves and have-nots. It kept me wanting more and trying to figure out Grimm's plan and his relationship with the cop. Thanks for listening to the show today. Links to Marco and his book Limbo are in my show notes. And we will close this episode with a listening to chapter eight, Appetite, in its entirety, to tempt you further. I also have... Two books to give away, Limbo, the one I reviewed today, and Marco's first book called Brief Horrible Moments. That book is super scary, and it is one to two sentence horror stories. It's worth a listen. Yours truly is also producing that book for Marco, and I could only produce it in short spurts because it was super scary. 8. Appetite As much as his partner wasn't a believer in weird shit, Tanner couldn't help himself, especially in a situation such as this, about to squeeze a suspect about his own murder. Volpe would insist there was an explanation, but this was no average case. As much as he didn't want to be frightened, he felt trapped in the shadow of something vast, terrible, and unexplained. Nevertheless, he found solace in Volpe's certainty and remembered his partner's unofficial motto shared many times since their first assignment. Nothing like busting balls to clear the mind. They had earned golden reputations by extracting near-instantaneous confessions, and in their overburdened department, means were justified by their ends, as long as those means didn't leave too many visible marks. Unshackled, they had risen and thrived together, hard men who held fast. Tanner watched Volpe watching not Frank through the two-way glass. Sometimes it was enough to push the right buttons, and his partner seemed to be trying to do so now, yelling and jabbing his finger in the air. But the smile on the suspect's face told him he wouldn't be worn down by words. Good, Tanner thought, eager for the rush violence would bring. Then, without warning, the glass went opaque. He flicked the switch at the base, thinking it was a malfunction. But as he leaned in to inspect the glass, he realized he could still see the muddled shape of Detective Volpe through it. It quickly became clear to him that it hadn't switched off, but that the glass had fogged up rivulets of moisture rolled down on both sides, as if the room behind it had become a greenhouse, cultivated with the most potent, most disgusting manure money could buy. Tanner was suddenly inclined to cough up the coffee and cruller he he'd eaten not an hour ago. However, he barely had time to register the smell before something odd flickered in his peripherals and shifted his attention. The security cameras were warbling, then going black, one by one. They were still on, but it was as if the images had been sucked clean from the screens. He approached, ready to fiddle with the knobs when his partner's throat-shredding scream began. The sum of the situation was terrifying, but not compared to the ensuing silence when Volpe's scream cut short, replaced by a sloppy, sucking sound. There was no time to think. Tanner bolted from the surveillance room and down the hall as fast as his legs could carry him. He fumbled with the handle, hands shaking, before he finally managed to open the door. The heat alone was enough to stagger him. Stepping into the interrogation room was like stepping into a sauna filled with space eaters. Between the run down the hall, the temperature, and the sight, he was instantly drenched in sweat. His eyes rested on Volpe, or at least the part of him that was still visible, understanding now why the glass had fogged up so. A mouth, independent of any bodily features or appendages, stretched from floor to ceiling and halved the room. Fat, slug-like lips, a deep shade of purple ran from wall to wall and behind them. A nicotine-stained but otherwise healthy set of teeth nestled into fleshy pink gums. From between them protruded a thick, muscular tongue, roughly the size of a family van, the tip of which had wrapped around Volpe's torso, pulling him closer and closer to the cavernous maw. It breathed, and with every exhalation Tanner was forced to inhale, a putrid cocktail of corruption he would remember for the rest of his days. His partner turned his head and locked eyes with him, both equal in their helpless, speechless horror. It was as if the brief moment of recognition confirmed for each of them that this was no nightmare, nor was it superstition. It was real. Volpe began writhing with renewed vigor as he became aware that the distance between himself and the undulating throat was closing. His arms flailed awkwardly over the edge of the tongue, reaching his hand out all the while to his partner, who couldn't seem to find the courage to reach back, nor see the sense in it. Instead, Tanner pulled out his gun, shooting twice into the salivating, fleshy mass. Within seconds, the slugs were pushed back out, producing two tiny, wet clinks as they landed. Out of options, Tanner began to scratch, kick, and pry at the tongue. Finding that equally useless, he pulled Volpe's hand with all his might. The arm gave slightly as it popped from its socket, rousing a new wave of rending screams from Volpe as he slipped mere inches from the tongue's grip. The tongue seemed to sense the incremental escape, adjusting itself and wrapping the detective up even more tightly. A bubbly, guttural noise came from both the monstrous and human mouths, and the trapped detective was drenched in a gush of sputum before his protest was finally halted by a sickening crack of his breaking spine. Tanner, undeterred by the sound, continued to pull the dislocated arm. The tongue seemed to be done toying with them both and released a fresh torrent of saliva that quickly spread underfoot. It yanked, retracting into the mouth suddenly, causing Tanner to slip and land painfully on the wet floor, but not to lose the firm hold on his partner's hand. Unfortunately, the rest of his partner was now beyond reach, past the lips in between the massive teeth. Tanner squeezed the severed hand of his partner and watched while the rest of the body was chewed like human bubblegum. After a few crunches, the enormous mouth paused, then smiled. Bits of bone, blood and gristle stuck in its teeth like the sinews of an overcooked steak. The smile held and all the surviving detective could do was stare, frozen in awe of the presence and power of the monstrous mouth. The lips puckered, spat, and Tanner felt something moist, hard, and heavy hit him square in the face, flattening him. Forcing himself back up to a seated position on the floor, he registered blood pouring from his nostrils, intermingled with that of his partner's. Following the trail down past his chest, it took a moment to identify the wad. His partner's former body had come to a rest across his lap. A mangled mess that resembled an animal carcass fed through an industrial meat tenderizer. Tanner's mouth dropped in silent horror as he watched the giant one move once more. Having nearly forgotten, it was there despite its proximity. The lips caked with goop and hung with ropes of severed intestines, spoke a single word in a low, rumbling tone. Run. Tanner's legs responded before his mind did. It was only when he found the others that he realized he should be screaming. Until next time, this is Valerie Moss in Studio 17.